St. John Paul II was thoroughly Polish. He grew up in a small farming town in Poland. He was steeped in all of the cultures, the traditions, the songs, the dance of the Polish culture. In his neighborhood, there was a large Jewish section, and he had a lot of close Jewish friends that he would play soccer with, and even his first kind of girlfriend was a Jewish girl in his neighborhood. He was very much a man of the place where he grew up. He went to university there in Poland. He got to know even more the thought and the culture of Poland. He got interested in theater and even acted in many different plays. And during occupation of the Nazis, they even had this kind of subversive group that would perform Jewish cultural plays in secret to kind of preserve the Polish identity. He was a man that was very much Polish. He went to great lengths to kind of be a part of that world in which he grew up in. Little did he know he would become a priest, much less a bishop, much less the Pope. And on June 2nd, 1979, Pope John Paul II visited Poland for the first time as Pope. And at this point, it's, it's under Soviet control. And there was one time they allowed him to kind of address the Polish people publicly in Warsaw at Victory Square. And there was a lot of tension about how this would go. The Soviets is an atheistic regime, and they're wondering, you know, is he going to come out strong against communism? Is he going to decry, uh, you know, their policies and, and, and kind of their oppression of the Polish people? And the tack that he took in that talk was very surprising to everybody there. And what he chose to do as he began his talk to the people was that he reminded the people of what it meant to be Polish. He reminded them of who they were and where they had come from. And he felt this was important to do because for decades, with the Nazi occupation and the Soviets coming in, they had tried to get people to forget their roots, try to get them to forget their culture. And so he simply started by reminding them of their history. He reminded them of the Christian history of their country. When he came to visit them, it had been 900 years since St. Stanislaus had been martyred for his faith. Very much a big figure in Polish history. He reminded them of the history of the unknown soldier, of all those unknown people who had given their lives over the years to preserve that country and to preserve the culture. He reminded them of the recent saints like St. Maximilian Kolbe, who had the priest who had died in the concentration camp because he offered himself to be killed in place of a father who wanted to try to survive for his wife and his children. He reminded them of the thousands that were martyred in the concentration camps because of their faith and because of their Polish identity. He reminded them of that Polish work ethic of kind of working hard, working by the sweat of your brow. He reminded them of all of the farmers and the miners all of the workshops, the foundries, the factories. He reminded them of the great tradition of Polish universities where so much culture had formed over the years. The folklore, the dances, the music that had been preserved in these universities and passed on for 
hundreds of years. And he told them that these are the seeds from which all of Poland was made. And as he was doing that, he's reaching into their hearts, he's reaching into their memories and reminding them of their identity. He's reminding them of their culture and reminding them of this land that they belong to and that they've been raised in. The most bold thing that he said with regards to faith explicitly, he said, the exclusion of Christ from the history of humanity is an act against humanity. Without Christ, it is impossible to understand the history of Poland. The history of the nation is above all the history of people. And he reminded these people that your history cannot be understood without Jesus Christ. And as he finishes this speech, thousands and thousands of people showed up to hear him speak, which in and of itself blew the minds of the Soviets. And spontaneously, something started to happen in the crowd, which is still very much remembered today. And slowly these people who had been tried to kind of have their culture, their Christianity kind of beaten out of them for decades, slowly start chanting, we want God. We want God. We want God. Thousands of people thunderously chanting that. And many people see that moment in which this man, very Polish, he knew the land he was speaking to, he knew the history he was speaking to, and in God's providence, he becomes Pope, he goes back to this country. Many historians, church historians alike, see that moment as a moment that started to change the course of Poland's history. Fourteen months from there, the Solidarity Movement would begin. Nine years from there, Poland would be a free and independent nation. And all because this man went and he reminded these people of who they are, their history, their culture, and the role that Christ has in that. And the gospel, Jesus says, I've come to set the earth on fire. And how I wish it were already blazing. I share all of that in great detail because I think St. John Paul II shows us what it looks like to set the world on fire. And if you think about what it takes to really get a good fire going you start a fire that is as big and as hot as possible. You know, if you only have like 10 coals, if you just put each coal kind of separately, you're only going to get so far. But if you put them all together, that heat is going to feed off of each other, and then you're going to start having some momentum to start spreading a great fire. I think one of the greatest challenges today in us answering the call of setting the world on fire is our efforts many times, our minds, they're so spread out that we can't get a good fire going. We live in a globalized world. We know about every problem in the world. We know about every culture and every language in a very peripheral way, but we don't know the people we live next to. We don't know the needs of our local community, and we're forgetting more and more our history, our geography, and kind of who we are. And so I think the example of St. John Paul II challenges us. What does it look like to set the state of Alabama on fire 
with the love of God. How might we have to immerse ourselves more in this place to truly know the history, know the culture, know how Christ has been a part of this place since day one, and know how to be reminded ourselves, but to remind everyone who we are and where we've come from and the purposes that God has in this particular place. A couple of things to think about in our local area. The first people that ever came to Mobile was in the 1500s were the Spanish, and they came into Mobile Bay on the day of Pentecost. That was the day that it happened to be when they first set into Mobile Bay. And because of that, they named a certain section of Mobile Bay the Bay of the Holy Spirit. It's not a bad beginning for uh, the place where we are right now. <laughs> Bay of the Holy Spirit that's sitting out there. The first religious congregation of any kind in the whole state of Alabama and most of the southeast was right downtown in Mobile, the Cathedral Parish, 1703. It's the only church that even existed in Mobile for the first 150 years of its history. And Christians of all denominations, of all races, all worshipped in that one place. 1830, Spring Hill College. It's the first institution of higher learning in the state of Alabama, anywhere, started by Bishop Michael Portier, the first bishop, Catholic bishop of our diocese. You cannot understand the history of the state of Alabama without understanding Christ. But on the other hand, we also have some darker sides of our history. The last slave ship that ever touched shore in the United States, Mobile, Alabama, the Clotilda. The last battle of the Civil War, Mobile, Alabama, Blakely State Park. The last black man lynched in the United States, 1981, Michael Donald, right here in Mobile. In order for the fire of the Holy Spirit to catch here in Mobile, here in this state, it's going to involve all of us thoroughly entering into the culture, the history, and all that that entails of this place. Because in order for the fire of God to spread from here to anywhere else, it first has to catch in our hearts. Then it has to catch into what's most proximate around us. And for whatever reason, in God's providence, here we are in sweet home Alabama. And he wants to set the earth on fire here through us. And I think our saint, John Paul II, gives us a lot to think about and pray about about what that's going to entail for you and me in this day and age. How are we going to understand the centrality of Christ in our city's history, our state's history? And how are we going to announce that to the world around us in a way that catches fire? Because as Jesus says, he already wishes that it was blazing. <laughs>